All right. Well, good morning. Uh, again, welcome to H2O. So great to have you here. My name is Brian Wiles, one of the pastors here. As Danny said, it's an exciting day for us. We have a baptism service tonight with around 20 people getting baptized. Also want to welcome H2O Akron. They're joining us via video. They have their own baptism service tonight after their service too, which is pretty exciting. It's been just so cool to see uh, what God has done in the past couple months and the excitement, the community, uh, the commitment to following Jesus. Uh, I can just say as a pastor of this church, it's been just an honor and it's just been so fun to be a part of seeing God work and continue to move in our city and our campus all over the state, uh, reaching people for Jesus. And so uh, with that being said, we are in this series that we're calling Greater. We've been working our way through the book of Colossians uh, for the past six weeks. We're on our seventh week. Next week, we'll wrap it up on our eighth week. And it's been a series where we've titled it Greater. And the title of this series is because the book of Colossians, the whole big theme, the big picture is about the greatness of Jesus and how Jesus is greater than anything that this world has to offer, that he's above all things, he's in all things, he created all things, he's holding everything together. And when we look at the world and we look at the beauty of Jesus, it draws us to be thankful for his greatness. One of the themes that has continued over and over again throughout this, this book is just the thankfulness. And so I even come up here today with just a heart of gratitude for all that God's doing, and I'm really excited to continue with that. And so as we come to this passage today, we're going to look at Colossians chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 18. Now up to this point where we're getting to, you can go back and watch our videos online if you need to get caught up, but much of what Paul was doing up to the point where we're about to come to right now is he was dispelling some false teachings that were working their way into the church in the city of Colossae. And so what the people during that time were starting to believe that was Jesus was a good starting point, but you needed to keep adding to him to get more and more spiritual. We've talked about this a lot throughout this series. And and so Paul is breaking that down, and he's using these academic arguments, and he's using these theological arguments, and he's telling people, no, Jesus isn't just a good starting point. Jesus is all you need. Faith in Christ is what truly is spiritual and unites us with God. And so as we come to this passage, much of what Paul has been doing was setting up theological arguments to make sure that people are understanding things properly. And now as we come to Colossians chapter 3, verse 18, Paul turns from talking talking about just the theological, and he starts talking about practically how that plays out in our life. Because any good theology, any good academic understanding of what faith looks like has to actually be lived out for it to be real, for it to take root in our lives. And so Paul's going to give us some instruction on what it looks like to not just know the gospel, not just know good theology, but to actually live it out. And I wonder if you've ever been around somebody or maybe you've even been in this situation yourself where you knew a lot of facts, but you weren't actually living those facts out. It can be problematic at times, can't it? You know, I know for myself, I uh, grew up kind of like marginally going to church. I went to uh, this church and I knew a lot about the Bible, but it never changed me. I knew who Jesus was, but I didn't know Jesus. And so I would do a lot of performance-based things. I was the president of my youth group. I tried to have this good exterior that people would look at and think, oh, that person, he must know God. But in my heart, I knew that I didn't. I knew about him, 
but I didn't know him. And so my senior year of, of high school, I ended up putting my faith in Christ through a, a bunch of series of events. And now I went from somebody who just knew about God to now I knew God. And I was so passionate and I was so excited about telling people about Jesus. Any opportunity I got, I would try to get in conversations with people about who Jesus was. Well, I was working for this small oil company between my, my senior year of high school and my freshman year of college. And I was on fire for God. I was looking for any opportunity to tell people about Jesus. And so my job during that time, it was pretty, you know, isolating. I would be by myself a lot of times. I would drive around in a truck and then I would weed eat these, these oil wells and I would paint them. I would just do kind of basic things. But every once in a while, I would go get to work with other humans, which is great because I like people, you know? And, uh, and so one of the things that I got to do, if there was a problem on a well, we would go and fix it. But I didn't know anything about fixing wells. So I would just kind of hold the guy's tool who actually knew what he was doing. I would kind of help him figure out what he did. I'd run errands to the truck for him. I'd do whatever he needed me to do. Well, the, one of the guys that did that, his name was Bruce. And as I was starting to talk to him, I realized that Bruce knew a ton about the Bible. We started talking, and, and he started telling me all these Old Testament stories. It was amazing. As a young Christian, I was like, wow, this guy knows everything. He was giving me all this knowledge and all this information. Every little situation that we had, he would somehow tie it back to the Bible. And I was like, man, this guy is super cool. Well, we were out one day working on this well. And all of a sudden, you know, Murphy's Law started to happen. Nothing was gone right. Things were breaking. It started raining. It started sleeting on us. It was like one of those days that you just wish that you could forget. And as we were working on the well, Bruce, his temper started to flare up a little bit. And I was like, okay, no big deal. I was in an oil company. You know, people would often have choice language a lot of times. So he's starting to let some choice language fly. No big deal. Well, then he starts to get to this point where he is actually talking to God and cursing God. How dare you do this to me? And going off on God, screaming at God in the middle of fixing this oil well, cursing him, saying things that nobody should probably say about the God of the universe. And after that whole episode kind of ended, I said, wow, Bruce, that really surprised me. I wasn't expecting that. I thought that you are a follower of God. I thought that you knew him. And he said, no, I don't follow God at all. I don't follow God at all. I know a lot about the Bible. I study it all the time. But me and God, we don't get along at all. Me and God, I don't like him at all. We butt heads all the time. So I have no problem cursing God anytime that I want to. And I was like, wow, my mind was blown. Here was this guy who knew and probably still does to this day know more about the Bible, know more about the truth than I could have ever known at that time. And yet he didn't know God. He knew the academic side. He knew the theological side, but he didn't have a relationship with Christ. And see, here's the big idea today as we're walking through the book of Colossians that Paul is going to bring us to is this. The gospel is meant to be lived out, not just talked about. The gospel is meant to be lived out, not just talked about. And we say this around here all the time at H2O, but it is so important because I think that it can be a very tricky thing in our world and our culture that, that we are not just about information. We're not just about learning facts. We are about transformation. And you can be f certain that there is a difference between knowing about God and knowing God. You can be certain that there's a difference between knowing the facts and the theological reality of the, the gospel and what Jesus did for humanity and what Jesus did for you and actually walking with him and following him 
with your life. See, think about this. What good is faith, as we talked about here today and as we sang about, what good is faith if it doesn't actually change us? If it doesn't actually affect the way that we live, if it doesn't actually make us different. And Paul is going to turn from the facts of the theology to here's how it looks to actually walk with Jesus. Here's how it looks to live out your faith in a Christian household. Those are the rules for the Christian household that he's going to talk about. And I think specifically Paul is going to let us look at these two really important parts of of all of our lives. He's going to give us some instructions for how we interact with our families, which is a huge part of all of our lives, right? And he's going to give us some instructions for how we interact at work. Two of the areas that we spend much of our time uh, thinking about, living out, Our families and our work, Paul's going to say, the gospel needs to be intertwined in those areas. It's not to be left on the bookshelf. It's not to be studied and then you go home and do something completely different. But your whole life is affected by the gospel. The information that I'm teaching you, it leads to transformation as you continue to live out the truth. So that's what we're going to look at today. Colossians chapter 3 is where we're going to find ourselves. And we're going to stop a number of different times because there's some tricky parts in this section that I want to make sure we do a good job explaining and working our way through. Colossians chapter 3, verse 18 and 19 is where we're going to start. It says this, Wives, submit yourselves to your husband as is fitting in the Lord, and husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. And we're going to stop right there, because there's a lot right there, isn't there? Uh, These verses chose me. I didn't choose them. We're working our way through the book of Colossians. All right, this is just where we are. But I, I think the first point is this, that the gospel lived out, it affects our marriages. The gospel lives, lived out affects our marriages, maybe our future marriages, if you're here and you're not married at this point. And we had a whole series on this, but, but I think that it's really important to recognize as we get started that that S word, the submission word, is a word in our culture that many of us don't like. And there's good reason why many of us don't like it, isn't there? Because it's been misused. Verses like this have been misused and abused sometimes even terribly, to bring about some type of form of oppression or or some type of power struggle between men and women. And this could not be further from the truth of what Paul is trying to communicate here. So I want to tell you what this section means, but I also want to tell you what this section doesn't mean because I think that that's really important. So the first thing that it doesn't mean is this. It does not mean women should submit to men. Did you catch what the verses said? Does it say anything about women submitting to men? No, it says husbands submit to wives. And so Paul's talking about this loving relationship where uh, in a marriage there's trust and there's beauty. And so this could not be further from the truth. If any man ever walks up to any woman, if he ever walks up to any of my women and says you're supposed to submit to me because I'm a man, there's going to be problems, right? Because that's not at all what Paul is saying here. He's not saying women should submit to men. Secondly, it doesn't mean wives should blindly follow their husbands. You shouldn't blindly follow your husbands. Of course not. It says, submit as is fitting to the Lord. So in Ephesians, it talks about how husbands and wives mutually submit to one another as both of them are submitting their lives to Christ. And so it doesn't mean that wives should blindly submit to their husbands. And it absolutely does not mean that men are more valuable than women, right? 
And again, sadly, some people, probably to serve their own agenda, have used sections of Scripture like this to try to push forward that type of chauvinistic agenda, which is sad. And I think that grieves God's heart because that's not what Scripture is talking about at all. In fact, this is really cool, and you may not always hear this in in your history classes or on campus, but it is a reality that the Bible and Christianity has been on the forefront of women's rights throughout history. You know, if you look around the Western world, much of it is based in a Christian understanding of the world. And that world has been on the forefront of bringing rights to women. Now, again, there's times where people have misused this. But overall, Christianity has been the leading advocate for women having equality with men in life. Why? Because you can go back 4,000 years to when the first book of the Bible is written in Genesis. In a culture that women were viewed as property, it's not right, but it was the reality of the situation during that time, you can go back 4,000 years when it would have been just an assumed fact that women were inferior to men. And the Bible says that's not true. From the very beginning, Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 says, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Man, I don't know if you know how powerful that is. Because for us, we kind of take that for granted because hopefully we've been moving forward in this area. But think about a world where women are literally viewed as property and then read that verse. Male and female, both created in the image of the God of the universe. We are equally valuable to God. And so there doesn't need to be a power struggle between us. So then you ask the question, okay, well, what's going on here then? Why does Paul use that submission word? I mean, it may not fit right with us. Well, I want to, I'm going to get kind of deep here for just a minute because you have to understand this whole part to understand what Paul's saying here. Marriage and God's plan for marriage was not just to help us not be lonely. God's plan for marriage isn't just for our, our physical needs uh, to get met or our emotional needs to get met or for kids to come out of marriage, although all those things happen in marriage, and that's a beautiful thing. God's intent for marriage is much greater than even that. You know, God's intent for marriage is that it points us towards the greatest reality of all, the cross of Jesus Christ, the gospel. Anytime that marriage is talked about in the Bible, it's usually pointed back to the cross and the gospel. And so when we think about the gospel, it required these two things that Paul talks about here. When we think about Jesus, it required him to do two things to go to the cross. It required him to submit to God the Father, and it required him to love every single person that he died for. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, before he was about to go to the cross, maybe you remember this scene. He was praying to God, and he's asking God, God, if there's any other way, please let me do it. I don't want to go to the cross. Jesus was fully God, but he was fully human. He experienced the pain, uh, the physical pain, the emotional pain of going to the cross. So he's praying to God his Father, and he says, God, if there's any other way, let it be done. But then he says this, not my will, but yours be done, God. Not my will, but yours be done. Jesus, who is completely equal with God the Father, submits to God the Father so that he can go to the cross and die in love for you and for me. Isn't that a beautiful picture? 
to think about the God of the universe willingly submitting so he can show us how deeply he loves and cares for us. And so when marriage is talked about, those two things are talked about, and we each have a role before God. As we think about that, it's a beautiful picture, but then I want to get practical for just a minute. Because while it sounds so beautiful, it can be extremely hard, can it? I know for myself, you know, marriage is one of those things that has uh, definitely grown, grown me and matured me and continually pressed in on the weak spots in my life as I seek to do what Paul says here. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. You know, it's kind of it's funny. I, I love being a pastor, and one of the things I love about being a pastor and don't love about being a pastor at the same time is when you're teaching on verses like this, God usually somehow brings up something in your life that very week, and then you're like, oh, I should probably share about that to everybody else. And so even this week, we value authenticity and transparency here at H2O. Even this week, you know, my wife and I were sitting down. We had a date on Monday, and my wife didn't even know I was teaching on this passage, but she very lovingly and respectfully challenged me and said, Brian, I'm not really sure how well you're doing at loving and leading our family spiritually right now. I think you could do a little better. And she was completely awesome about it. And she drove me. And, and down deep, guys, you know this. Everybody knows this, right? When somebody says something like that to you, your first response is to be defensive a little bit, right? Have you ever been there? Uh, but I have a bunch of good reasons why I'm not doing that great in that area. Let me tell you a couple of them, you know? And I could have started listing them, and I might have even. And, uh, and I can't remember. I'm trying to block it out. Um, <laughs> But we got to dialogue and, and come to a point where I said, you know, you're totally right. I want to do better. I want to do better at loving and leading our family. And I tell you that because if you're married here, I want you to know that there is hope, but it takes us to continually come back to this day after day after day. Listen, I can tell you from experience, it's easier to lead a growing church. It's easier to lead a growing network oftentimes than to go home and lead the four people in my family. That's the honest truth that, that I wrestle with. But I know that that's what God calls us to. And I know that that's what God wants for me. And for each of us, whether you're a husband or a wife or somebody who eventually someday might be a husband or might be a wife, the question is, will you continually come back to the gospel and allow it to help you to strive to be better and continue to grow forward? And when you fall short, expect that you're probably going to do that and run to the cross together, run to the gospel together and say, God, help us because we want to have our marriage be something that reflects the beauty of Jesus, just like you're encouraging us to and challenging us to. So I'm going to have some questions here. If you're a husband, I want you to think about this. And maybe even if you're married here, you're in a serious relationship, maybe you even kind of get away. It could be 20 minutes. It could be 20 hours. I don't know. Maybe you get away this week. And I encourage you to think about asking each other these questions. Husbands, would you ask, how am I doing at putting your needs above my own? 
how am I doing at putting your needs above my own? Because we're supposed to love like Jesus loved. How did he love completely selflessly? So how am I doing at putting your needs above my own? And then, wives, would you ask, how am I doing at supporting and encouraging you as you try to lead our family towards Jesus? And if you're here and you're not in a relationship, I want you to look at this section and I want you to think into the future. And if God leads you to be in a marriage someday, I want you to think about, is the person that I'm interested in or the person that I'm going to be with, are they somebody that I can sit down and ask these questions with? Are they somebody that I can sit down and continue to move towards Jesus together because the decisions that you're making right now if you're not married is going to eventually affect the decisions that you do make. And so the question is, are you going to be committed to finding somebody who can point others towards the gospel in your relationship? See, Paul says, it's fine to have all the knowledge in the world about the gospel, but it has to affect the way that we interact with one another. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Let's move on. That's the marriage section. Verse 20, he says this. Moves from talking about a husband and wife. Now he's talking about the family. Children, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. We're like, hey, can we get those kids from downstairs up here? And can they hear that right now? Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. And then fathers... Do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Second point is this. The gospel lived out affects our parental relationships. The gospel lives out affects the way that we parent. It affects the way that we interact with our parents. And it is so important. We talk about relationships that matter. Man, family, right? It's so valuable to us. And the Bible has something to say about it. Now, again, I want you to just picture this. In our world, in our culture, we we love our kids, right? You can be pretty certain anywhere you go in this town, most parents would do anything for their kids. Now that I'm a parent, I see that play out all the time, right? And that's a good thing. 2,000 years ago is a much different world. Honestly, children were pretty much viewed as commodities, Children were pretty much viewed as, what can you do for me? Put you to work as soon as you can because you need to be contributing. And so for Paul to say, children, obey your parents, everybody would have been like, yeah, that's right. Of course they should. But then when he says, now fathers, don't embitter your children or they will become discouraged, people might have said, whoa, wait a minute. You're telling me that my kids actually have a voice? You're telling me that my kids actually have rights? You're telling me that I need to think about the way that I interact with them? You see, the Bible was always a step ahead of where the culture was and pushing us forward to love and encourage one another. We know that how we interact with our parents and how we interact with our kids forms who they become. And many of us, we've experienced that from our parents. And some of us can tell great, amazing stories, and others of us can tell stories that are honestly pretty downright sad and hurtful. Even this week, our staff, we were kind of talking through this section together, and we were, you know, just talking about what it means to us. And we started talking about stories and interactions that we had with our parents. And I asked some of our staff if I could share some of their, their statements. And in, in many of us, we had amazing examples of parents And even in amazing examples of parents, many of us remember times where our parents fell short and even embittered us 
one of the, the guys on staff said, I remember after a sporting event, sitting in my car with my dad, and he started screaming at me because I wasn't playing hard enough. And I thought I was playing hard, but it wasn't enough for him. And so I started screaming back at him, and he started screaming back at me, and our tempers got elevated, and we were screaming in a dead-out screaming match with each other. Another guy said, that sounds hard, but man, at least your dad was around. At least your dad was there. I mean, at least he like, cared enough to, to be there. I don't know what I would rather have, somebody who's not there or somebody who is discouraging us. Somebody else said, I wasn't that into sports, but, but my performance at school was always a topic of conversation. And if I would get a 98, it was like, why didn't you get 100? Why didn't you do a little bit better? You could have done more. If I got a 30 on my ACT, it should have been a 32, whatever the case is. And as I was listening to those stories, I was thinking, man, by God's grace, all these people have an amazing relationship still with their parents, but they fell short, didn't they? They fell short. And I know for myself, I've fallen short in these areas too. And as we think about that reality, again, the only hope for us is to continually come back to the cross of Christ. I know for sure I'm going to make mistakes. I have and I will continue to make mistakes as I'm seeking to raise my kids. But the only thing I can do and the best thing I can do is try to be real with them and try to be real with God. And when I make a mistake, go to them, just like I would go to any of you and say, I fell short. Will you forgive me? I want to do better. I want to point you, Allison, Sam, Isaac, to Jesus because I know that the way that I parent you affects who you're becoming and what you view about God. And maybe your parents didn't do that for you. And you know what? I think we need to find a way to give them grace too. I think we need to find a way to say the gospel doesn't only apply to us, but it applies to the people in our lives too that have fallen short. You see, the gospel is hope for every single one of us. So if you're here and maybe you're a student, maybe a question you could ask, even as you're about to go home, many of us, for Thanksgiving is, how can I live this out? How can I honor my parents? Even when I'm home, even if they've dropped the ball, even if they've fallen short, how can I honor them and encourage them and build them up? And if you're a parent here, I want you to think, how can I point my kids towards Christ? How can I make sure that I'm not embittering them or discouraging them? Because the gospel wants us to speak life into our kids. See, our kids, I think it's beautiful because our culture and our world, it kind of sways to extremes, doesn't it? A lot of times you'll either have somebody who's just completely hardcore, driving down the rules, always making sure that their kids are trying to do better and better and never building them up. Or you'll have somebody over here who's just completely permissive and say, go do whatever you want. Go do whatever makes you happy. I'm always behind you. But the Bible says, no, there's a middle ground. Paul says, listen, children, obey your parents. That means there needs to be some structure. There needs to be some support. There needs to be some rules. There has to be something to obey, right? Children, obey your parents. And yet, fathers, don't embitter them. Don't harp on them. Don't tear them down. Find that middle ground where there is structure and consistency, but there's love and there's encouragement and continually pointing towards the cross. Let's, let's close out with this last section here. Colossians chapter 3, verse 22. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters in everything 
and do it not only when their eyes are on you to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence of the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as if working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as is a reward. It is the Lord Christ who you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid their wrongs, for there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your bondservants with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. See, third is this. The gospel lived out affects our work relationships. The gospel lived out affects our work relationships. Now, just a quick clarifier. Some versions there say bond servants. Some versions there say slaves. But it's important to know what Paul was writing about was a very different thing than modern day slavery that we've seen in the last couple hundred years in our nation. See, old world slavery was different than new world slavery. And it still doesn't mean that the Bible was condoning it. It was just recognizing the situation that was going on during that time. Old world slavery was more like indentured servanthood, uh, which was something that was usually done voluntarily. It was usually done to pay off a debt. It was usually done for a fixed amount of time, not for a lifetime. And it was something that was done to provide for people's needs or pay off a debt that was already there. It wasn't done because of race or inferiority. It was done for financial reasons. And so it's much more applicable to look at this section and say, how does it affect our work relationships? is not so much about the issue of slavery. The Bible is clear that that was hideous and evil. And again, Christianity was on the forefront of trying to bring that to an end, even though at times there were people who misused the Bible to try to promote it. The church was a major factor in ending slavery in this world. And so what Paul is saying is, as you work, as you work, the gospel has to affect the way that you work. Whatever you do, this is one of my life verses. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as if you're working for the Lord, not for human masters. Whatever you do. Can you say that you live that out in your life? If you're just honest, you just stop for a second and kind of think about it. Whatever I do, do I work at it as if I'm working for the Lord? I have the sense, and I don't know if it's always been this way or whether it's just more recent, but somewhere along the way, it, it kind of became okay to look at any situation, whether you're a student or whether you're somebody who works here. And, and many of us, we struggle with looking at those situations and complaining about them, don't we? It's, it's a common struggle for so many of us. Whether it's a job, it's tempting to complain about our boss. They don't know anything. I would do a much better job, you know? Whether it's a professor, oh man, my professor, they just don't get me. They just don't understand. Somewhere along the way, that almost became like normative in our culture and in our world. And Paul says, listen, that's fine for the world to live that way. That's fine. We're not judging them. But if you know and understand the gospel, we have to be different than that. We have to look different from that. We can't fall into that trap that the world continues. He says, everything you do, no matter what it is, work for the Lord. Because listen, there's a spiritual reality beyond the physical reality that you're in right now. The reality is the work that you have, the places that God's put you, whether you stay there for the rest of your life or whether you're there for a few short weeks or a few short months, God has you there for a reason. And you might be able to point people towards Christ by the way that you work. And so don't get sucked into everything else that may be going around, but you be different. 
and work like you're working for God. And even if your boss or even if your professor doesn't know what they're talking about, guess what? You're not studying for them only. You're not working for them only. You're working for the Lord. And so that affects the way that we go about and live in this world. Some of you may say, well, that's kind of easy for you to live out. You're a pastor. I mean, if I was a pastor, you get to do all these fun things, you know. You get to, to be in ministry and see life change, and we do, and it's awesome. I've, I've had a lot of different jobs over the course of my life. One of the jobs, uh, when I went to leadership training, we went out to Colorado, um, I was a housekeeper. I actually wrote a song about it. It's a great song. I can sing it to you sometime, but I won't right now. Um, I'll bear you. Uh, I'll save you that. But I was a housekeeper for three months. And um, we would always have these, these jokes that we're scrubbing toilets for Jesus, you know? We're scrubbing sinks for Jesus. And, and it was cool because a lot of us were kind of in community together, and we would just work as hard as we could at being housekeepers. And the opportunities that came out of that were truly amazing. Opportunities to, to share the gospel with people, to tell people about Jesus. People came to faith in Christ because many of us were working together and saying, what does it look like to be a housekeeper for the Lord? What does it look like to do everything we can for Jesus? So as we wrap up here, there's, you should have got a sticker in your handout. And, and we thought maybe if you want to use that to kind of just think about, maybe you have a job or a situation right now that uh, you love and you're passionate about, it might be pretty easy for you to do this, and maybe not. But we left a blank in there. I do fill in the blank for who? For the Lord. And you can put that somewhere if you're struggling with that to remember the situation God has me in right now is for his glory, to continue to advance the gospel. So if you're flipping burgers, flip them for God. If you're going to class, do it for the Lord. If you're playing a sport, if you're on an athletic team, do it for the Lord, not just for your coach. If you're a teacher, Teach and love people for the Lord. If you're in a position that you're so excited about, do it in a way that brings glory to God. And even if you're struggling, do it in a way that brings people closer to Jesus. You see, understanding the gospel, it has to lead us to look different. It leads us to look different in the way that we interact in our families. It leads us to look different as we go about this world. And it leads us to continually look to the greatness of Jesus and say, everything I do is for him, no matter what. And so I can work, and I can work for the Lord, knowing that I get to point people towards him, and there will be an eternal reward. There's more than the physical right now. There's a spiritual reality that I'm working and I'm a part of and that's an amazing blessing. It allows us to live lives that are transformed. So I want to pray for you all, pray for our church, that God would help us to continue to grow and point people towards him.